welcome. So in today's episode, I am reading Neville Goddard's lecture from 1965 titled, Works of Faith, Not Miracles. A miracle is a name given by those who have no faith to the works of faith. So the important question is not, did Jesus work miracles in Galilee? But is he miraculously present, miraculously potent now? The answer we give to the second question is the only important answer, really. If we cannot give to the second question a confident and adoring yes, it doesn't really matter what we say of the first. Is he present and is he potent now? I tell you that he is, but you must find out who he is and trust him implicitly. Well, let us turn to the 25th chapter of the book of Genesis. For this uh, is all revelation. We're told in this chapter that two were struggling together within the womb of Rebekah, and she wondered why. If this is thus, why do I live? Verse 22. So she sought the Lord to inquire of the Lord as to why should this thing be? And he said to her, Two nations are within thy womb, and two peoples born of you shall be divided. One shall be stronger than the other, and the elder shall serve the younger. And then they came out, the first one hairy all over. They called him Esau. Then came the second, a hairless lad, and they called him Jacob. Verse twenty-three, twenty-six. When you read the story, you might think of a woman might think a woman had twins, two little boys that came out, as in a thing to do, all symbolism, not a thing to do with that picture of a woman conceiving and bringing forth twins, twin boys. This is true of every child born of woman. You have an immortal twin brother. Jacob is the first name given to him, the offspring of the promised child called Isaac. For the real you descends from Isaac, the child of the promise. This outer garment is Esau. The immortal brother is my own wonderful human imagination. You can't see him. You only see the mortal Neville. You do not see the immortal being that is expressing itself through this mortal being. So this is Esau. Under some microscope, it's hair all over, just like Esau. Some men, you don't need a microscope, but it's hair all over. That being, that is called the smooth-skinned lad. You never see him, for he is Jacob, the prototype of the one we speak of in the New Testament as Jesus Christ. His name is I Am. In action, it's all imagination. So now, there are two souls within my breast. One to heaven doth aspire, and one to earth doth cling. Here, the little, or the battle, is on with us, or, or within us. I am looking at the world through my senses, and I accept as fact what they dictate and what reason allows. But there is someone, with, someone within me that is a miracle worker, if I would only exercise him and let him speak, if I could only trust him implicitly, and know that he's as present now as he was in Galilee 2,000 years ago, that God himself became me that I may become God. This is the battle within me, the battle between the outer man of the sense, or of the senses and the inner man of imagination. 
Then the day will come. There will not be two, there will only be one, as told us in the second chapter of the book of Ephesians, uh, verses 14 through 15. He will create within himself one new man in place of the two, and put an end to the hostility. That happens in the most miraculous way. It happens with a bolt of lightning out of the nowhere, splitting man in two, from the top of his head to the base of his spine. And then, at the base of his spine, he sees golden liquid light. It's molten gold, and he knows it's himself. And he fuses with it. As he looks at it, he ascends the spinal column of his right the spinal column of his right up into heaven. Now the word translated nation in the passage that I quoted, two nations are in your womb. The word nations is goyim in Hebrew. A Gentile is a goyim, a foreigner, a stranger. But in essence, it means your backbone that is split in two. If you have a good concordance, a biblical concordance, look it up. The word goyim. In fact, the word nations. And here it is split. Write down every little segment of the entire 32 bones. From the top to the bottom is split at the base. This molten gold. And then think in terms of a sculptor or a sculptor making a beautiful image. He works from within. When he completes what he wants, then he covers it with cl in clay, and then he pours his molten metal within, and it takes the form of the mold. When it takes the form and coagulates, then he takes off the outer part and discards it. The outer part is this body. The day will come, I will discard it, like an Esau, discard it like an Ishmael, send it off. As we are told in the very last book of the Old Testament, Esau I hated, Jacob I loved, Malachi 1, 2, and 3. And these are the words of the Lord. You wouldn't think that the God of love would hate, but he discards the outer part. It has no place whatsoever in the eternal kingdom. So the outer man may have a bulbous nose, a horrible form, hasn't a thing to do with the work that is going on in the inside. That inside is all that matters, and when it's finished in the eyes of God, he pours himself into it. He is the molten gold. That's the blood of Christ. And you see it at the base of the spine when you are severed in two from top to bottom. Now, how do I prove it? I can tell you my experience that I've just told you, but aside from telling you my experience, we can prove the existence of Christ within us. Prove it in the most simple way. This is how I prove it. Tell me what you want. Just tell me what you want. And let me assume that you have it. I simply imagine that you're telling me that you have it rather than you're telling me that you want it. And then I believe in the reality of my imaginal act. I try to remain loyal to this unseen reality. I firmly believe that that was an act of Christ when I imagined. So I try to guide it along the, I would say, rails of love if it is something that i would want for myself i would willingly hear it if you ask me to hear that someone is hurt i couldn't hear it if you ask me to hear that you are gainfully employed or that you have a large sum of money i could hear that for myself so i could hear it for you 
If you ask me to hear that you are happily married, well, I am, so I could hear it for you. If you ask me to hear that someone is unhappy and through their unhappiness you'd be happy, I couldn't hear that. So I will simply guide it by love. Every time that I imagine anything and I feel that it is with love, I am exercising this inner man wisely. So will it work? Well, try it. All I can say to anyone, simply try it. A friend of mine told me tonight, but I didn't have time to hear the whole story. He's a teacher. Another teacher in the same school took my book, Awakened Imagination, and took the chapter Revision. And having revised it in his own mind's eye, how to apply it, he took a class of 30 and had them start with a story, an unlovely story, and had each pupil revise it and practice in our schools the art of revision. Well, that is exercising Jacob. That's sheer power. The day will come that Jacob's name will be changed to Israel. Then the day will come. You move forward in time, a man after my own heart, and then you reach the state called Jesus Christ. And then that man will be born, born from above. Everything I have told you, I'm speaking from experience. I'm not speculating, I'm not theorizing, this is all true. So there are two within us until the end when he breaks down the wall that separates us, that wall of conflict, and makes within himself one new man in place of two. That one new man is Jesus Christ. So I tell you, in the end, you and I are one. There's only one Jesus Christ. There aren't billions of him, billions of drops of blood of Jesus Christ, but every drop of blood is himself. So when you see it at the base of the spine, you are it. And then comes the revelations, one after the other. And the one who called him Father calls you Father. Are you not then Jesus Christ? If his own son... And you may be shocked to hear he had a son, but he can't be a father unless there's a child. Show me the father, and I will be satisfied. I have been so long with you, and yet you do not know me, Philip. He who has seen me has seen the father. How then can you say, show us the father? John fourteen eight. So, if I am father, I can't be father and not have a child. That's the most shocking thing to the priests that I've spoken to and the ministers that I've spoken to, and the rabbis. As I go across the country, I meet them. If I'm on a, a panel on TV with them, that question is always brought up, and they're always shocked when I say that Jesus Christ is Father. And as a father, you can't be a father unless there's a child. I can call all the priests of the world Father, and they're all celibates. There is no child. Where is the Father? There must be a child if there is a father. So, when you see me, you see the father. Then who is the son? And then he tells the story. The story he tells us, you've all read it and you've heard it from my lips time and again. The story of David. For in the second psalm it said, Thou art my son, today I have begotten thee. Psalm 2-7 That's said of David. And who, who spoke the words? It is said the Lord spoke the words, and so he said, What think ye of the Christ? Whose son is he? And all the rabbis would answer, Why naturally the son of David? 
for it's prompted that he would come from David. Then he replied, Why then did David in the Spirit call him Lord? Matthew twenty-two forty-two. The word is Adonai, a word used by every child of his father. All would refer to his father as my Lord. That's what the word Adonai means, my Lord. If he calls him Lord, how can he be his son? And no one asked him any more questions after that. First of all, they didn't ask that. He brought it up. He's trying to reveal the great mystery of being. He found that he was God, the Father, because if he is God, the Father, he has to be the Father of God's only begotten Son, who is David. So David in the Spirit comes and calls him Lord. I prophesy for every one of you, you're going to have the experience. When you have that experience and you meet anyone in this world, you can't meet another. The wall has all been torn down. There's no hostility, for everyone is the father of that only begotten Son of God. Therefore, then you know the fatherhood of God. <coughs> Excuse me. And then the brotherhood of man. We're all one, every one of us equal, not one greater than, because we're all the same being, all God. All of this cult of the heroic personalities vanishes. You don't care what the man has played in this world. You played all the parts, but in his infinite mercy he has hidden you from the past. It's a plan. Let no one tell you this is not a plan. As I have planned it, so shall it be. As I have purposed, so shall it stand. Isaiah fourteen twenty four. And my anger, he said, will not turn back until it has executed and accomplished the intents of my mind. In the latter days you will understand it perfectly, Jeremiah twenty three twenty. So you and I are put through the furnaces of affliction, playing all the parts in the world, while he forms his image within us. When it is completely formed, he pours the molten gold, the molten gold being his own blood, and it takes the form of that image produced by the lives we have lived. No one can pour it until the image is perfect. And you form that image by the life that you have lived. Not in 70 years from the cradle to the grave. You've been here a long, long time. Now they said to him, One whom you love is ill. He said to them clearly, Lazarus is dead. And then he restored Lazarus to life. John eleven fourteen. Who is Lazarus? May I tell you, you are. He loves you. That's why he became you. So you will die. Everyone dies, but you don't really die. He restores you to life. You die here to find yourself restored, restored to life automatically, just as solidly real as you are now, in a section of time that is in harmony with the work to be done on his image. It's the only purpose for the whole vast world. Not to be known, not to be fa fabulously wealthy, not to be anything, just the image of God being fashioned. And when you leave here, you're restored to life automatically and inserted into a section of time. Not necessarily 1966, it could be the year 3000. It could be the year 1000, all based upon the work to be done on that image. But when it's done, 
at that very moment that it's done and not one moment before or one moment later, it will simply be torn apart. And then the golden molten light is poured upon you and it takes the form, the eternal form. But he likes and he loves this. It's called Lazarus in his eyes and he keeps it forever for the 6,000 years as he wears it. It dies and he restores it. It dies again and he restores it. He keeps restoring Lazarus until finally he himself resurrects. The restoration to life is not the same as the resurrection. Resurrection is the end of this age. I am with you always, even unto the end of the age, Matthew twenty-eight twenty. The end of the age or the close of the age is when this age comes to its end and relative to the individual, and it doesn't restore Lazarus anymore. That's forever behind me, and God has risen from this state called death. So you have an immortal brother, and he's known in Scripture as Jesus Christ. He will not leave you until he tears down the wall of partition, of hostility between you. And you and he are one, not two. When you become one with him, then you have all the experiences that are claimed in scripture of Jesus Christ. In scripture, it is claimed he is the father. In scripture, David calls him father. In scripture, he ascends like a serpent into heaven. In scripture, the Holy Spirit descends in bodily form as a dove and smothers him in affection. In scripture, he is born from above in a supernatural manner. All these things you will experience. And having experienced them, you are the being spoken of in Scripture as Jesus Christ. If you talk about it, you'll get the same reaction as recorded in Scripture. They will say you're blaspheming. For you being man, we know your parents. We know your brothers. We know your sisters. And you dare to claim yourself one with God. So whoever has the experience, tell it but expect the same reaction as recorded in Scripture. What an arrogant, blasphemous man he or she is. He dares to claim he is one with Christ because they expect him to come in some strange way out in space. And they have the strangest pictures of him. You never see a picture of Jesus Christ who resembles the one who owns the picture. Yet you're told in the book of John, the epistle of John, that when he appears, we shall be like him. First John 3.2 You've never once seen a picture of him that faintly resembles the one who holds the picture and adores it. It has to be just like you, but it's you raised to the nth degree of perfection. You've never seen such majesty. You've never seen such beauty, such strength of character in your face before as when you see that face, that living, living you. You look at it, and it's your own being. It's not another, it's your own self. Here is the hero of billions of faces, and yet we are one being wearing all these faces. Yes, you will not lose any identity, not for one moment. None of us will lose our identity, and yet we are one with Jesus Christ. Only God, nothing but God. So in the end, you're told, The Lord will be king over all the earth, and his name will be one, and the Lord one. Zechariah 14.9 Only one Lord, and yet you and I are that Lord. 
So until you actually have the experience, believe me, Jesus Christ is present in you right now. Don't look back in the pages of history 2,000 years ago right now. The same miraculous power that operated in Galilee 2,000 years ago operates now in a very simple, simple way. What did he do? He simply believed his imaginal acts. It's done, said he, and go, the child is alive. And he believed, well, the same power is in you now. If you could now think of any person in this world, any friend, and imagine him or imagine her or imagine them to be as you would like them to be and believe in the reality of your own imaginal act, for faith is simple or simply loyalty to unseen reality, that's all that it is. I remain loyal to what I have imagined. I imagined it. I'm still imagining it. And I will continue to imagine the state until what I have imagined becomes objectified as fact within my world. So, if I've imagined, then it's done. If that is Christ in action, I tell you that is Christ in action. So we are told, do you not know that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless, of course, you fail to meet the test. 2 Corinthians 13, 5. I hope you will discover we have not failed in our test. Well then, let us feel the same confidence that we will not uh, fail in our test. You and I know nothing of the human form. We're not doctors. Yet, I don't have to be a doctor to assume that things are perfect. I couldn't put a knife into your body and do anything but injure you. But I could assume that things are right. Then, if there's a surgeon and you need surgery, all right, his hand will be guided based upon my assumption. Let him use the knife. He's trained in the knife. Let him use it. I'm not a dentist, but I could assume a perfect state and let the perfect man trained in that aspect of life perform what he must perform. But let me assume the state. All you are called upon to do is to believe that you are what you would be and sleep just as though it were true. Fall asleep this night in the assumption that you are now the man, that you are the woman that you want to be. If you dare to do it, then some little bridge of incident will appear. And you don't consciously <clears throat> devise it, it simply appears. You're compelled to walk across this little series of events, moving from where you are to where you've assumed that you are. Now, if this very night you dare to assume that this immortal brother is your own wonderful human imagination and he is Jesus Christ, you know what you are doing. See, the uh, characters, or a character becomes destiny. The moment you dare to assume that your own wonderful human imagination is Jesus Christ, you adopt that character. Well, your destiny is automatic then, for you know his destiny straight to the Father, one with the Father. You aren't going to avoid the problems of life, no. That's what this world is about. You aren't going to avoid anything, but you'll pass through them because you know the end. The end is resurrection. The end is one with God. 
But who is one with God? Jesus Christ. So you must assume that I am he, as you are told in the 46th Psalm. Be still and know that I am God, verse 10. If you are afraid to do it, embarrassed to do it, all right. <coughs> Excuse me, I can't force you to do it. But the day will come, you'll have to do it. You'll be moved from place to place in this world, through the gate of death, restored to life, and through other experiences, until finally you come to the state that you dare to claim, I am he. When you claim it, that's your character. Whatever you claim that you are, that's your character, and character invariably becomes your destiny. The destiny of Jesus Christ is God. So start tonight. Let no one tell you uh, to not start it. Start it tonight. Test it with a friend. A friend may be now unemployed and you want to see him or see her gainfully employed. Just assume that they are. Don't even tell them that you've done it. You want no reward, cost you nothing to do it. Just simply assume that they are and fall asleep this night in the assumption that they are. May I tell you, may I tell you you'll get the good news. They will be employed and gainfully employed and then you'll have that satisfaction of knowing that you sent a word on its way and the word could not return unto you void. It had to accomplish unto which you had sent it, Isaiah 55, 11. So you assumed it and it had to go that way. And then you will know who Jesus Christ really is. Hello and welcome. So in today's episode i am reading a neville goddard's lecture from 1965 titled works of faith not miracles a miracle is the name given by those who have no faith to the works of faith so the important question is not did jesus work miracles in galilee but is he miraculously present miraculous miraculously potent now the answer we give to the second question is the only important answer, really. If we cannot give to the second question a confident and adoring yes, it doesn't really matter what we say of the first. Is he present and is he potent now? I tell you that he is, but you must find out who he is and trust him implicitly. Well, let us turn to the 25th chapter of the book of Genesis, for this uh, is all revelation, we're told in this chapter that two were struggling together within the womb of Rebekah, and she wondered why. If this is thus, why do I live? Verse 22. So she sought the Lord to inquire of the Lord as to why should this thing be? And he said to her, Two nations are within thy womb, and two peoples born of you shall be divided. One shall be stronger than the other, and the elder shall serve the younger. And then they came out, the first one hairy all over. They called him Esau. Then came the second, a hairless lad, and they called him Jacob. Verse twenty-three, twenty-six. When you read the story, you might think of a woman. Might think a woman had twins, two little boys that came out. Hasn't a thing to do, all symbolism. Not a thing to do with that picture of a woman conceiving and bringing forth twins. Twin boys. This is true of every child born of woman. You have an immortal twin brother, 
Jacob is the first name given to him, the offspring of the promised child called Isaac. For the real you descends from Isaac, the child of the promise. This outer garment is Esau. The immortal brother is my own wonderful human imagination. You can't see him. You only see the mortal Neville. You do not see the immortal being that is expressing itself through this mortal being. So this is Esau. Under some microscope, it's hair all over, just like Esau. Some men, you don't need a microscope, but it's hair all over. That being, that is called the smooth-skinned lad. You never see him, for he is Jacob, the prototype of the one we speak of in the New Testament as Jesus Christ. His name is I Am. In action, it's all imagination. So now, there are two souls within my breast. One to heaven doth aspire, and one to earth doth cling. Here, the little, or the battle, is on with us, or, or within us. I am looking at the world through my senses, and I accept as fact what they dictate and what reason allows. But there is someone, with, someone within me that is a miracle worker, if I would only exercise him and let him speak, if I could only trust him implicitly and know that he's as present now as he was in Galilee 2,000 years ago, that God himself became me that I may become God. This is the battle within me, the battle between the outer man of the sense, or of the senses and the inner man of imagination. Then the day will come. There will not be two, there will only be one, as told us in the second chapter of the book of Ephesians, uh, verses 14 through 15. He will create within himself one new man in place of the two, and put an end to the hostility. That happens in the most miraculous way. It happens with a bolt of lightning out of the nowhere, splitting man in two, from the top of his head to the base of his spine. And then, at the base of his spine, he sees golden liquid light. It's molten gold, and he knows it's himself. And he fuses with it. As he looks at it, he ascends the spinal column of his right the spinal column of his right up into heaven. Now the word translated nation in the passage that I quoted, two nations are in your womb. The word nations is goyim in Hebrew. A Gentile is a goyim, a foreigner, a stranger. But in essence, it means your backbone that is split in two. If you have a good concordance, a biblical concordance, look it up. The word goyim, in fact, the word nations, and here it is split. Write down every little segment of the entire 32 bones. From the top to the bottom is split at the base, this molten gold. And then think in terms of a sculptor or a sculptor making a beautiful image. He works from within. When he completes what he wants, and he covers it with cl in clay, and then he pours his molten metal within, and it takes the form of the mold. When it takes the form and coagulates, then he takes off the outer part and discards it. The outer part is this body. The day will come, I will discard it, like an Esau, discard it like an Ishmael, send it off. 
as we are told in the very last book of the old testament esau i hated jacob i love malachi one two and three and these are the words of the lord you wouldn't think that the god of love would hate but he discards the outer part it has no place whatsoever in the eternal kingdom so the outer man may have a bulbous nose a horrible form hasn't a thing to do with the work that is going on in the inside that inside is all that matters and when it's finished in the eyes of god he pours himself into it he is the molten gold that's the blood of christ and you see it at the base of the spine when you are severed in two from top to bottom now how do i prove it i can tell you my experience that i've just told you but aside from telling you my experience we can prove the existence of christ within us prove it in the most simple way this is how i prove it tell me what you want just tell me what you want and let me assume that you have it i simply imagine that you're telling me that you have it rather than you're telling me that you want it and then i believe in the reality of my imaginal act i try to remain loyal to this unseen reality i firmly believe that that was an act of christ when i imagined so i try to guide it along the i would say rails of love if it is something that i would want for myself i would willingly hear it if you ask me to hear that someone is hurt i couldn't hear it if you ask me to hear that you are gainfully employed or that you have a large sum of money i could hear that for myself so i could hear it for you if you ask me to hear that you are happily married well i am so i could hear it for you if you ask me to hear that someone is unhappy and through their unhappiness you'd be happy i couldn't hear that so i will simply guide it by love every time that i imagine anything and i feel that it is with love i am exercising this inner man wisely so will it work well try it all i can say to anyone simply try it a friend of mine told me tonight but i didn't have time to hear the whole story he's a teacher another teacher in the same school took my book awakened imagination and took the chapter revision and having revised it in his own mind's eye how to apply it he took a class of 30 and had them start with a story an unlovely story and had each pupil revise it and practice in our schools the art of revision well that is exercising jacob that's sheer power the day will come that jacob's name will be changed to israel then the day will come you move forward in time a man after my own heart and then you reach the state called jesus christ and then that man will be born born from above everything i have told you i'm speaking from experience I'm not speculating i'm not theorizing this is all true so there are two within us until the end when he breaks down the wall that separates us that wall of conflict and makes within himself one new man in place of two that one new man is jesus christ so i tell you in the end you and i are one there's only one jesus christ there aren't billions of him billions of drops of blood of jesus christ but every drop of blood is himself so when you see it at the base of the spine you are it and then comes the revelations one after the other 
and the one who called him father calls you father. Are you not then Jesus Christ? If his own son, and you may be shocked to hear he had a son, but he can't be a father unless there's a child, show me the father and I will be satisfied. I have been so long with you and yet you do not know me, Philip. He who has seen me has seen the father. How then can you say, show us the father, John fourteen eight. So, if I am father, I can't be father and not have a child. That's the most shocking thing to the priests that I've spoken to, and the ministers that I've spoken to, and the rabbis. As I go across the country, I meet them. If I'm on a, a panel on TV with them, that question is always brought up, and they're always shocked when I say that Jesus Christ is father. And as a father, you can't be a father unless there's a child. I can call all the priests of the world father, and they're all celibates. There is no child. Where is the father? There must be a child if there is a father. So, when you see me, you see the father. Then who is the son? And then he tells the story. The story he tells us, you've all read it, and you've heard it from my lips time and again. The story of David. For in the second psalm it said, Thou art my son, today I have begotten thee. Psalm 2-7 That's said of David. And who, who spoke the words? It is said the Lord spoke the words, and so he said, What think ye of the Christ? Whose son is he? And all the rabbis would answer, Why naturally the son of David? For it's prompted that he would come from David, then he replied, Why then did David in the Spirit call him Lord? Matthew twenty two forty two. The word is Adonai, a word used by every child of his father. All would refer to his father as my Lord. That's what the word Adonai means, my Lord. If he calls him Lord, how can he be his son? And no one asked him any more questions after that. First of all, they didn't ask that. He brought it up. He's trying to reveal the great mystery of being. He found that he was God, the Father, because if he is God, the Father, he has to be the Father of God's only begotten Son, who is David. So David in the Spirit comes and calls him Lord. I prophesy for every one of you, you're going to have the experience. When you have that experience and you meet anyone in this world, you can't meet another. The wall has all been torn down. There's no hostility, for everyone is the father of that only begotten Son of God. Therefore, then you know the fatherhood of God. <coughs> Excuse me. And then the brotherhood of man. We're all one, every one of us equal, not one greater than, because we're all the same being all God. All of this cult of the heroic personalities vanishes. You don't care what the man has played in this world. You played all the parts, but in his infinite mercy he has hidden you from the past. It's a plan. Let no one tell you this is not a plan. As I have planned it, so shall it be. As I have purposed, so shall it stand. Isaiah fourteen twenty four. And my anger, he said, will not turn back until it has executed and accomplished the intents of my mind. In the latter days you will understand it perfectly, Jeremiah twenty three twenty. 
So you and I are put through the furnaces of affliction, playing all the parts in the world, while he forms his image within us. When it is completely formed, he pours the molten gold, the molten gold being his own blood, and it takes the form of that image produced by the lives we have lived. No one can pour it until the image is perfect, and you form that image by the life that you have lived. Not in 70 years from the cradle to the grave. You've been here a long, long time. Now they said to him, One whom you love is ill. He said to them clearly, Lazarus is dead. And then he restored Lazarus to life. John eleven fourteen. Who is Lazarus? May I tell you, you are. He loves you. That's why he became you. So you will die. Everyone dies, but you don't really die. He restores you to life. You die here to find yourself restored, restored to life automatically, just as solidly real as you are now, in a section of time that is in harmony with the work to be done on his image. It's the only purpose for the whole vast world. Not to be known, not to be fa fabulously wealthy, not to be anything just the image of God being fashioned. And when you leave here, you're restored to life automatically and inserted into a section of time. Not necessarily 1966, it could be the year 3000. It could be the year 1000, all based upon the work to be done on that image. But when it's done, at that very moment that it's done, and not one moment before or one moment later, it will simply be torn apart. And then the golden molten light is poured upon you, and it takes the form, the eternal form. But he likes and he loves this. It's called Lazarus in his eyes, and he keeps it forever, for the 6,000 years as he wears it. It dies, and he restores it. It dies again, and he restores it. He keeps restoring Lazarus until finally he himself resurrects. The restoration to life is not the same as the resurrection. Resurrection is the end of this age. I am with you always, even unto the end of the age, Matthew twenty-eight twenty. The end of the age, or the close of the age, is when this age comes to its end and relative to the individual, and it doesn't restore Lazarus anymore. That's forever behind me. And God has risen from this state called death. So you have an immortal brother, and he's known in Scripture as Jesus Christ. He will not leave you until he tears down the wall of partition, of hostility between you. And you and he are one, not two. When you become one with him, then you have all the experiences that are claimed in Scripture of Jesus Christ. In Scripture, it is claimed he is the Father. In scripture, David calls him father. In scripture, he ascends like a serpent into heaven. In scripture, the Holy Spirit descends in bodily form as a dove and smothers him in affection. In scripture, he is born from above in a supernatural manner. All these things you will experience. And having experienced them, you are the being spoken of in scripture as Jesus Christ. If you talk about it, you'll get the same reaction as recorded in Scripture. They will say you're blaspheming. For you, being man, we know your parents. 
we know your brothers we know your sisters and you dare to claim yourself one with god so whoever has the experience tell it but expect the same reaction as recorded in scripture what an arrogant blasphemous man he or she is he dares to claim he is one with christ because they expect him to come in some strange way out in space and they have the strangest pictures of him you never see a picture of jesus christ who resembles the one who owns the picture yet you're told in the book of john the epistle of john that when he appears we shall be like him first john 3 2 You've never once seen a picture of him that faintly resembles the one who holds the picture and adores it. It has to be just like you, but it's you raised to the nth degree of perfection. You've never seen such majesty. You've never seen such beauty, such strength of character in your face before as when you see that face, that living, living you. You look at it and it's your own being. It's not another. It's your own self. Here is the hero of billions of faces and yet we are one being wearing all these faces yes you will not lose any identity not for one moment none of us will lose our identity and yet we are one with jesus christ only god nothing but god so in the end you're told the lord will be king over all the earth and his name will be one and the lord won zechariah fourteen nine. only one lord and yet you and i are that lord so until you actually have the experience believe me jesus christ is present in you right now don't look back in the pages of history two thousand years ago right now the same miraculous power that operated in galilee two thousand years ago operates now in a very simple simple way what did he do he simply believed his imaginal acts. It's done, said he, and go, the child is alive. And he believed, well, the same power is in you now. If you could now think of any person in this world, any friend, and imagine him or imagine her or imagine them to be as you would like them to be and believe in the reality of your own imaginal act, for faith is simple, or simply loyalty to unseen reality. That's all that it is. I remain loyal to what I have imagined. I imagined it. I'm still imagining it. And I will continue to imagine the state until what I have imagined becomes objectified as fact within my world. So, if I've imagined, then it's done. If that is Christ in action, I tell you that is Christ in action. So we are told, do you not know that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless, of course, you fail to meet the test. 2 Corinthians thirteen five. I hope you will discover we have not failed in our test. Well then, let us feel the same confidence that we will not uh, fail in our test. You and I know nothing of the human form. We're not doctors. Yet, I don't have to be a doctor to assume that things are perfect. I couldn't put a knife into your body and do anything but injure you. But I could assume that things are right. Then, 
if there's a surgeon and you need surgery, all right, his hand will be guided based upon my assumption. <clears throat> Let him use the knife. He's trained in the knife. Let him use it. I'm not a dentist, but I could assume a perfect state and let the perfect man trained in that aspect of life perform what he must perform. But let me assume the state. All you are called upon to do is to believe that you are what you would be and sleep just as though it were true. Fall asleep this night in the assumption that you are now the man, that you are the woman that you want to be. If you dare to do it, then some little bridge of incident will appear. And you don't consciously <clears throat> devise it, it simply appears. You're compelled to walk across this little series of events, moving from where you are to where you've assumed that you are. Now, if this very night you dare to assume that this immortal brother is your own wonderful human imagination and he is Jesus Christ, you know what you are doing. See, the uh, characters, or a character becomes destiny. The moment you dare to assume that your own wonderful human imagination is Jesus Christ, you adopt that character. Well, your destiny is automatic then, for you know his destiny straight to the Father, one with the Father. You aren't going to avoid the problems of life, no. That's what this world is about. You aren't going to avoid anything, but you'll pass through them because you know the end. The end is resurrection. The end is one with God. But who is one with God? Jesus Christ. So you must assume that I am he, as you are told in the 46th Psalm. Be still and know that I am God. Verse 10. If you are afraid to do it, embarrassed to do it, all right. <coughs> Excuse me, I can't force you to do it. But the day will come. You'll have to do it. You'll be moved from place to place in this world through the gate of death, restored to life, and through other experiences until finally you come to the state that you dare to claim. I am he. When you claim it, that's your character. Whatever you claim that you are, that's your character. And character invariably becomes your destiny. The destiny of Jesus Christ is God. So start tonight. Let no one tell you uh, to not start it. Start it tonight. Test it with a friend. A friend may be now unemployed and you want to see him or see her gainfully employed. Just assume that they are. Don't even tell them that you've done it. You want no reward. Cost you nothing to do it. Just simply assume that they are and fall asleep this night in the assumption that they are. May I tell you, may I tell you you'll get the good news. They will be employed and gainfully employed, and then you'll have that satisfaction of knowing that you sent a word on its way, and the word could not return unto you void. It had to accomplish unto which you had sent it, Isaiah 55, 11. So you assumed it, and it had to go that way. And then you will know who Jesus Christ really is. You won't stick him someplace and look at him in some other way. You will know that he walks with you. He is you. He's your own wonderful human imagination. That is Jesus Christ. Because he is the essence of love, you will only exercise your imagination lovingly on behalf of anyone in this world. 
You will never, under any circumstances, exercise your imagination in any unloving manner. Never. It becomes something you can't do. That's all there is to it. Not even in a not even in dream do you do it. A dream is supposed to be a state where you have no control. You will find yourself in your dreams not doing it in any unloving manner. You'll do it only lovingly. So I tell you, I'm speaking only from experience. I know how things work. So let me tell everyone here, do not turn to the left or the right to find him. As you walk through the doors tonight, he walks with you. He is your immortal brother. He's taking himself and his mortal part through all the furnaces until that day when it's completed within him. And he makes up to one new man, and you and he are one. Then he unveils himself, and you are he, not another. Well, how does he unveil himself? In the very things recorded in Scripture. Everything said of him happens to you. That's how he unveils it. He doesn't all of a sudden pour something on you. He brings into your presence his immortal sin. You don't see this man over here and the immortal son there and you here, only two of you, the immortal son and you. Then he calls you father. Then you know who you are. Until that moment in time, you had no idea that you and God, the fa- or that you are God the father. You thought yourself some little worm because you had an earthly beginning and you know you must have an earthly end. So the cradle to the grave is our little stretch of time. You thought that until this moment in time when you realize you are the one spoken of in scripture as Jesus Christ. Yet no loss of identity. You don't change your name. There's no break with the past. And because there's no break with the past, you hesitate to make the claim. You make no claim to another. You only know within yourself what has happened to you. You go on and tell your story to the world. Tell it or print it, but in some way you tell it to another. That, or that this word may be spread abroad and all may believe and begin to adopt the attitude of being Jesus Christ before they have the experience, because you're going to have it anyway. So here, in a simple way, as told in the book of Genesis, this is how it is exer- or this is how he exercised it, verse twenty-seven, one. Isaac is blind, but I am blind right now to the actual fact of the fulfillment of your desire. I heard it as you voiced it, but I don't see it physically standing before me. So you voiced it, and I heard it. So Isaac can hear, but he can't see. Isaac is blind. So he turns to his son, and he calls and asks him to go and fetch some nice, tastily prepared venison for him. Jacob puts on the clothes, the outer clothes of his brother Esau, to deceive the father into believing that he is Esau. He said, I can't see you, my son. Come close that I may feel you. The emphasis is now on feeling. So he comes close and he feels the hairy hands and feels the hairy shoulders and smells the odor of the coat of his son, or the coat of his son, Esau. Excuse me. He said, you have the odor of my son Esau, and you feel like Esau. But your voice sounds like Jacob. But based on feeling rather than sound, he pronounces the blessing. 
You sound like Jacob, but you feel like Esau. So he gives him the blessing. Esau returns from the hunt to discover his brother Jacob had deceived the father and took the blessing that belonged to Esau. Well, this is how you do it. Here, I am in this room. Now this is my Esau. It's so real. My senses dictate the reality of this room. But I would like to be, and I name it. I won't do it, really, because I know I'll go there, because I've done it, and you go there. So I would say now, if I desire to be in San Francisco, I would, while standing here, knowing from my senses that I'm in Los Angeles, in the Apple Club. I would close my eyes and become blind to this, like Isaac. I wouldn't see it. I'd become just as blind as Isaac. Then I would depend upon touch. I would feel. I'd go to the St. Francis Hotel. I'd feel the St. Francis Hotel. I would sit in the lobby and feel that very chair that I sit in daily when I'm there. I'd go ask for my mail. I'd go to the elevator and then call my floor. I would walk through that by touch. I would sense it and touch it. I'd open my eyes once more and I'm back here. I came back from that 500-mile journey to find that I'm here. That was only in my imagination. I didn't really go. All in my imagination. Then things are going to happen rapidly and quickly, and I will have to make my changes in my world to make that journey. That, again, I speak from experience. In 1941, I brought out my first book, Your Faith is Your Fortune. It came out in the month of February. There was a snowstorm on in New York City, 12 inches of snow. I went to my meeting. Instead of having the usual hundreds that I always had, about 150 came out. They couldn't get through the snow. When I came out, it was still snowing. So my first night with my book, I expected to find about 500 people would want the book. But only 150 came. They came, I would say, just through sympathy because they're... They really had to struggle to get there. Well, that night, when I went home or went to my home, I assumed I was in Barbados. And I actually slept in the belief that I am in Barbados. I could hear the sounds that you hear only were you in Barbados. The odors that come only were you in Barbados. The tropical odors. I could hear the palm leaves and the coconut leaves on the shingles of the house. I slept in my mother's home in Barbados. The next day when I woke, snow was even higher. Not Barbados at all. I'm still in New York City. But that day, or rather, that year, my wife and I made plans to go off to Maine for a vacation and sent off our reservations to go to Maine. Then I got a cable from my family saying, We never told you because the war was on. That is, we in Barbados were at war. Britain was at war. And so they said my... Why well, tell you to disturb you, but mother has been desperately ill, and now it's terminal. No possibility of any change in mother, and if it's possible for you to come, come. They couldn't send me a nickel because the pound was frozen. They could not transfer dollars, so they couldn't get one dollar out to send me. So they did not know what condition I was in financially, whether I could come or not, if my business would allow it. But they sent a cable saying, this is the terminal state of mother, and if you can come, come. My wife and I sailed the very next night on an American ship that was leaving at midnight for Barbados. 
It was the old Argentina something, there's a word missing. Went home, and there I slept in the very room that I had slept in back in February. I hadn't the slightest idea of going to Barbados, but I slept in Barbados in the month of February, and physically I was there in the month of August. A bridge of uh, incidents appeared. I had to go across that series of events that led up to my sleeping in my mother's home in Barbados. Then three weeks later we returned, and two weeks later Mother closed her eyes to this age, this world. So I tell you, don't do it lightly, for you will have to go. So he said in this story, come closer, my son, that I may feel you. You sound like Jacob, but you feel like Esau, and you smell like Esau. So come closer. And it was so real to him that he pronounced the blessing. What blessing? The fact. He gave it the reality. He gave it the right to be born in this world. That's the blessing. So you can sit here physically, shut your eyes to the fact, and then assume that you are elsewhere, and feel the reality of that elsewhereness here, and give it the right to be born. You can do it with anything in this world. Now this is exercising the Jacob within you who is the prototype of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is your own wonderful human imagination. You will not actually know he is Jesus Christ until the day David comes into your world. For that marks it. From then on you know who he is. Until then you don't really know. You will have heard it from me and you have read about it in the few little things I have written. But you will not actually know that it is Jesus Christ until David appears and calls you Father. For he calls Jesus Christ Father, and he can't have two fathers, he can only have one. So he calls Jesus Christ Father, Adonai. So begin to exercise it lovingly, and do it on behalf of everyone in this world. It costs you nothing to sit quietly for one moment and exercise your imagination lovingly on behalf of another. Take anyone in this world and just simply do it, and feel the thrill of accomplishment when you hear via the grapevine that it worked, to know that wonderful power resides in you. Now let us go into the silence and play the part of Isaac, Jacob, and Esau. Let Esau go hunting, and you bring your Jacob clothed in the skins of reality, and make it real by touching it. Now let us go into the silence. All right, so there we have Noble Goddard's lecture from 1965, titled Works of Faith, Not Miracles. Thank you so much for joining me. See you guys next time. Bye now.